You have no rival. You have no equal. Lord, we know that if we walked in that reality, every moment of every day, that things would just change. We think about the challenges that we face, the relationship difficulties that we go through, the choices that we have to make, the uncertainty about the future, the uncertainty about what's going on within the world, within our world, within our bodies, Lord, all of that. There's just something that changes within us when we recognize the power, the power, the power of your name. Lord, we give you thanks today on Mother's Day for all the moms who are a part of this congregation. We give thanks for um, the moms that gave us life, that nurtured us, that loved us, that sacrificed for us. And Lord, as we celebrate today, um, the goodness uh, that motherhood is, Lord, we also pray for those who are in a season of perhaps questioning and wondering because they desire that and that has not yet happened or those who are in the midst of relationships with their mom perhaps that are complex and confusing and not maybe exactly what they had hoped or for those of us whose moms have gone on to be with the Lord and we miss them so desperately. But Lord, we give thanks. We give thanks for people who step in, in the, in the gap. We give thanks for those that you raised up in our lives that may not be in any way connected to our biological family, but nurtured us and loved us and showed us the way of Jesus. So Lord, we give thanks, we give thanks, we give thanks on this Mother's Day. And we give thanks for this day and what you want to do in our hearts and in our souls, the healing that you want to do today. So open us up, Lord, for whatever it is that you need to do within us. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen, amen. Well, happy Mother's Day. Can we celebrate all of our moms before you have a seat? Awesome. You can be seated. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm so excited about our, our special guest who is, is going to be speaking today. And I want to introduce her in just a moment. But there's some other things that are going on in the life of our church that I want you to be aware of. And, and sometimes we just kind of, you know, race through maybe these announcements. And, and, but this is like kingdom stuff that God is doing and that we get an opportunity to be a part of. And I just want you to be aware of it. You were given a card when you came in about our Global 5K. Our Global 5K is going to take place on uh, May 21st. 
And uh, all the money that's raised through registrations and all of that is going to go to Children of Promise, a new partner for us that uh, uses child sponsorship to change the lives of kids and families around the world. It's an amazing, amazing organization. And uh, so we'd like as many of you as possible to be part of the, the 5K. It's going to be um, it's going to be a great day because even after the 5K is over, we're celebrating the 30th birthday of Children of Promise. And uh, so we're just going to have kind of a big family party with, uh, with uh, bouncy rooms and face painting and uh, lots of just cool stuff for kids. And uh, that's all going to be part of the 5K. So it's just kind of a family event. So uh, if you want to participate in that, uh, you can get signed up online uh, to be a part of that. Uh, what we're doing with that registration is we're going to be starting a new sponsorship program in Brazil where Children of Promise has never been before. And so we're going to get an opportunity to be a part of this new start, uh, new chapter that's going to take place in Brazil. The other thing that we're doing is we have 50 kids that Children of Promise have given us that need sponsors. And uh, so we're hoping that we're going to be able, in addition to everything we're doing with the 5K, uh, to sponsor those 50 kids. We, I think, over half of them were uh, sponsored uh, with the first service, which is just incredible. And uh, so after the service, I, I hope that you'll go and be a part of that. We're hoping that all the kids can be sponsored uh, by, the end of, uh, by the end of the day. Um, and then on the 25th, uh, we're going to be uh, having our next night of worship. We, it's been a while since we've been able to really have a night of worship in the way that we um, generally have been able to do that. And uh, we're going to do a block party at five o'clock. And some of you maybe that were part of the last time we did that, we'll have food trucks here and chance to hang out and games and all kinds of stuff that would just kind of give a chance to be with the body of Christ, our family together. And then seven o'clock night of worship starts. And we're going to be, as a, as a part of the night of worship, we're going to be ordaining uh, our church planter that is in uh, Lebanon, in the south of Lebanon, um, part of Heart for Lebanon. And uh, God is just doing some amazing, amazing things. And we get the opportunity to uh, ordain him in an official role as pastor. God is already bringing so many people to Jesus. People are getting baptized. It's, it's incredible. And that'll be a part of our night of worship as well. And then the other thing that's taking place next month is what we're calling Grief to Peace. I love that name, Grief to Peace uh, class and, um, and support group. And you can be a part of this either by being a part of an eight-week class that's going to start next month uh, if you're dealing with issues of grief or to be a part and or be a part of a support group that will meet monthly and will go on uh, after even the class is over. And if you're interested in that, we've got some amazing folks that are experts in the area of grief that are going to be leading this. And if you're interested in that, uh, go to our website, go to our care page, and you can get signed up. Uh, for it. And then the last thing I just want to say before we introduce our speaker is uh, thank you so much, as we say every week, for your uh, generosity to this place. Uh, we do everything that we do uh, around the biblical principle of the tie, this crazy radical idea uh, that we would give to the kingdom 10%, the first 10% of what God has entrusted to our care 
so that God can do the work that he wants to do in us and through us. And you're so faithful to that. And uh, if you want to give us an act of worship today, if you're in the sanctuary, there are boxes in the back of the sanctuary that you can put your tithes and offerings in. Uh, If you're watching online, if you're part of our online service today, there's a little give button that you can click and start that process. And you can, of course, give anytime uh, just going to our website. And uh, that's the way that most of the people actually give uh, to Fairfax. So thank you. Thank you so much for your faithful support. All right. So our speaker today is uh, Christy Hayes. And uh, I'm so excited about having Christy with us. Let Let me give you a little bit of context uh, of Christy. Christy is, um, first of all, just an amazing communicator and a sought after speaker. She, she's the founder uh, of an organization that's called Be Strong. Uh, she's an author. She is the host of a podcast that uh, is called the Be Love, Do Good podcast. Uh, she's a mother of two Uh, just an amazing woman. But the thing that is kind of special for us is that Christy was on staff here at Fairfax. She's, again, one of the products that has come out from this place. She was involved in our student ministry, was on staff with Kyle in student ministry, Um, did an amazing, amazing job um, while she was here. So many young adults that have been touched by her ministry. And uh, we're just so thankful for her. And uh, it's just really a gift to be able to have Christy here today. She's here with her family uh, and her husband Grant is here. I'm gonna have Christy and Grant both stand so that you guys can welcome them. I made their two kids uh, stand in the first service and so they conveniently found a way not to be in the second uh, service. So we're just so thankful to have Christy Hayes with us today. And would you just give a huge Fairfax welcome to Christy Hayes. Thank you guys so much. It feels like home. I know some of you I don't know, um, but any chance I can get to come back, I take it for sure. Um, Happy Mother's Day. For some of you, when Rod said it was Mother's Day, I saw the big eyes and you're like, oh shoot, totally forgot. So I'm gonna give you like a code in the middle. It's gonna be like a wink and a nod and you're gonna go out to the bathroom and then go to the store and get something for uh, your loved one today. I've got you. Um, My mom's watching, so I'm just gonna first of all go ahead and say I have been blessed with an incredible mom who taught me how to love Jesus, who taught me how to serve others and who taught me how to deal with a very sassy daughter. I was the only daughter growing up in her family. So she she learned that from me. Um, Motherhood has taught me a ton of things. It's taught me what I'm really good at. It's taught me what I'm really bad at. And my kids aggressively teach me humility, whether I like it or not. Things like, mom, are you, are you gonna go out with that today? Are you, are you, is your hair, I mean, are you gonna wear that outside, like out in public? I'm like, I don't remember actually asking your opinion ever, but thank you so much for giving it to me. Um, I am not up here as an expert. I am up here as a struggler. That's what I call it, struggling through parenthood like many of you are. 
And I thought it would be fun to kind of go through some of my stages. I wanna show you a picture of my family because they're not here. They came to one service and they're like, peace out, mom, we cannot listen to you again. So I will just show you a picture. This is Holden, um, who's 13. He is so awesome. Anyone who tells you like the junior high days are horrible, I love them so much. I was a junior high pastor here, but I love him and adore him. Carter May, she's 10, she's awesome. Grant Hayes, and then we have a sweet baby in heaven that we will one day meet. So I wanna go through the stages of kind of what we've been through. We haven't been through a lot. My kids are only 13 and 10, but maybe you can relate as parents, as mothers, to some of these different stages. And I wanted to have a TV show represent that stage for me, okay? So I'm gonna give you a TV show that represents that stage. The first stage being newborn life. The TV show that best represents this for me is The Walking Dead. Okay, so I do not condone this show at all on stage. You do not hear me say that. I'm not telling you to watch it. I'm merely stating that this is a show about zombies and that is who I was for one year of life uh, after a kid. What happens is you get so excited to have this baby and no, even if anyone tells you something different, you're still gonna be like, I'm so excited. I'm going to the hospital, this is so great. And then you have the baby and your body is just, torn to shreds, just gonna tell you that, and it doesn't feel great, and then they give you like two to three days max to recover, which means really a nurse is coming in your room at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., with the lights on, touching, like, oh, hey, let me just feel your heartbeat, let me push on your stomach, here's a sip of water. I love nurses, thank you so much for helping us, but really, I do not need you coming in every hour on the hour. And then at 7 a.m., they come in, they're like, how did you sleep? Was that rest good? How's the baby? Three days of this, and I'm like, Grant Hayes, I am a sweet person, but I swear if one more person comes in here when I'm trying to sleep, I will knock somebody out. So we got out of there. And what they do is they say, hey, we know that you are so sleep deprived and you actually shouldn't operate heavy machinery, nor should you drive. But here is a newborn life that you're gonna make 1 million decisions for. Off you go, go be with God. And so that's what it feels like. And for literally a year, that is what it feels like. You are so tired. And I remember probably around month seven with Holden, he was a good baby sleeper. After like actually getting more than three hours, I remember saying to Grant, babe, I can see colors again. Like, it feels like the fog is lifted. I can finally see we're gonna get this parenting thing down. And then what stage happens? The toddler stage. And this show that represents my toddler stage, maybe not for all of you, is the show Survivor. (laughs) Do you remember the show Survivor? It's like still on, it's like year 28. I don't even know how they're still surviving, quite honestly, but they are still out there. I feel like the host has to be like 75 years old, but he is killing it. And so literally they drop them on an island and they're like, hopefully you don't die. And there's also gonna be some drama. And I feel like that is actually the toddler stage uh, for us. So this is my second born, a picture of her in her toddler stage. So if this just gives you any indication of what it was like for us, this is it. And this is her, um, another one where she has gotten Sharpie. This is like the seventh time that she's found the Sharpie marker. I don't know, but all over her, not just a regular marker, the Sharpie. So if anyone tells you that you should do anything but just survive, 
and just keep people alive, I just want you to be like, no, thank you, man. No, thank you, sir. No, thank you. This is all I'm doing today is surviving. This was a really hard time for me. I remember it was like changing diapers, a thousand diapers and picking up after people all the time. And my house still looked like a bomb went off at the end of the day and sitting on the floor playing Thomas the Train and thinking like, what did I even do today? Like, what is my life? right now, what am I doing? So this was a, this was a really tough stage. And I remember um, I wanted to be this mom. So I was kind of an older-ish mom um, when I had Holden. All the moms around me were making like organic food and they were like doing all the things and I didn't know how to do any of that. And I was super like comparing myself. And then they had the Moby wrap. You, know, you have something different now. It's like the wrap that you wrap your kids and they're so cute and cuddly and like you hold them to you all the time. And you do all the things and you can do everything with them just attached to you. And I'm like, oh yes, I'm gonna do that. So I got the Moby wrap and it's like YouTube at the time. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And then we're going to put it around us. And then we're going to put it real tight. And I literally had no idea what I was doing. But I, I, I love a good challenge. So I'm like, I'm going to do this. And so I Moby wrapped them all up. And then Grant would hear us down the hall. And he would hear this, 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 like, this big thud. And he was like, babe. And I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. And it would be Holden's head falling out of the Moby wrap, like hitting the doorknobs as I'm going down the hall. So Moby wrap was also not our friend. Toddler years were not my friend. But this season of life is the golden years. My 10 and 13 year old, it is like, oh my gosh, there are no bottoms to wipe. There are no car seats to get into. There are no, I mean, they make their own lunch. They do their own laundry. They take care of their own schoolwork. I don't know what their grades are. I don't even know what homework they have. I, I, that's theirs. I mean, it is the most amazing life right now. And for those of you who have teenagers who are staring at me like you just wait, don't tell me. I just wanna live here in my ignorant bliss forever. Mom, some of you are in the thick of it right now. You're in the fog, you're in the trenches, you're playing the Paw Patrol, and you literally have no idea what you're doing. It's like Groundhog Day. And you feel unthanked, you feel pretty, probably insignificant many days, and you feel very unseen. And I just want you to know that you are seen. I also want you to know that you are the perfect mother for your child. And I think so many times we have this comparison game where we think, oh, I don't make the warm chocolate chip cookies after school like this mom does, or I don't remember anything that they do at school and I never go to their thing and, and they get so mad at me, I'm such a bad mom. Here's the deal, you are the perfect mom. And then you find the moms who fill in the gap who make the chocolate chip cookies and you ship your kids to those moms. That is what you do. What do you think I did when we lived in Colorado and my best friend is like Betty Crocker and she'd be like, oh, I just made this blah, 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 this healthy thing. And I'm like, that's so great. I'm not ever gonna make that, but I will send my kids to your house. And so we'd literally go over to her house. No guilt, no shame. I am who I am. That's the mom they get. And just know, just live in that freedom. For some of you, this is a real tricky day. Um, a lot of emotions come up. Maybe you have always wanted to be a mom. And so you celebrate moms, but there's still like a real sting um, that happens when it's Mother's Day. Maybe you've lost your mom. Maybe you've lost a child. And this is a super, all the emotions come up today. And so I just want you to know, and I just hope you feel today so seen and so known. I think for all of us, uh, whether we had great relationships with our mom or not, whether it's confusing or tricky, there is one thing that all of our moms possess. It is a superpower. And it is that they see us and they know what's happening with us 
at all times. At all times, you cannot get anything past them. So I remember when I was about my daughter's age, I might've been a little uh, younger, we lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and I still remember the shag carpet steps. And I remember my mom um, was mad at me. She's a really sweet mom. And so I can't imagine her even yelling at me, but she probably came up to reprimand me or tell me I couldn't do something. And I was mad. And I was like, oh, I am angry with you. And so how I was going to get my adolescent angst out is that as we're walking down the stairs, she's about three feet in front of me on the shag carpet. I'm just going to stick my tongue out at her. And I'm just going to go down the stairs and be like, mm. And as soon as I stuck that tongue out at her, she whips around. And I can't even get my tongue back in my mouth fast enough of the shock that she sees me. I don't know how she saw me, but she did. That's just how moms are. They see us. And I think for all of us, maybe not in that moment, but in most moments, we want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to feel like we belong. We don't wanna feel invisible. I love this um, quote that Kurt Thompson, who's a psychiatrist, he says, we are all born into the world looking for someone, looking for us, and that we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. We wanna feel seen when we feel lonely. We want someone to come after us when our life has shattered and exploded. We want someone to see our pain when it's in front of us. We want someone to look for us when we've pulled away because we've lost everything. Sometimes we feel abandoned by others and sometimes we feel even abandoned by God. Today, I wanna park us in Genesis um, 16, where we're gonna talk about a story of a woman who felt all those things, who felt invisible, who felt abandoned, who felt hopeless. And I hope that not just as moms, but all of us, I know we'll see just a little bit of ourselves in her story. Her name is Hagar. And if you've heard her before, I'm gonna kinda back up and kinda explain where we are in this story before we talk about her. But I want you to know that Hagar was a slave. She was a Gentile, which means in that day, she just wasn't one of the chosen ones. She was a handmaid, she was a concubine. Even her name means forsaken and stranger, which is not an identity that any of us would like to have, but many of us have felt many times. My son says that one of the things that bugs him the most, which really just means in pre-teenage talk probably hurts his feelings, is when he's met someone several times and they don't recognize him or they don't remember his name. And how many of us have felt like that? In a room even this crowded, we felt alone, unknown, unseen. Maybe the thing that we're going through, no one sees, no one understands. And it feels horrible. I wanna back up before we talk about Hagar and kind of go through um, the story of Abram and Sarai. Maybe you've known him as Abraham, but in chapter 12, he's still known as Abram. He's about 75 years old, his wife around the same age. And God asked them to leave their homeland and go to a new country, a country where he promises over and over again, your offspring will be so many. They will inherit this promised land. And he keeps telling them, your offspring, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring shall also be counted. He keeps promising you're gonna have children, you're gonna have lots of children and they're gonna inherit all these things. And so he tells them this and years and years go by. And so he gets older 
and his wife ain't getting any younger. And in chapter 15, it says some time passed. It's been a few more years since his promise in chapter 12. In chapter 15, one day the word of the eternal one comes to Abram through a vision, a kind of a waking dream. And the eternal one says, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm always your shield. I'm always your protector. And your reward for loyalty and trust will be immense. And Abram's like, okay, thank you for that. But what could you possibly give to me that would make much of a difference in my life? I am still childless. I still don't have a kid. So all these promises that you've told me, what, like, are they, what's gonna happen? Because in that day, if you don't have children, actually your offspring go, all the inheritance goes to your first servant. And so he's like, is this guy gonna get everything? Is his offspring gonna get everything? And God's like, no, 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 no. Let me, let me just show you a picture. And I love how God does this. It's like, he can't get through to us sometimes. So he's like, I'm just gonna show you a picture. So he's like, let's go outside. And so he goes outside, he says, Abram, look at the stars. And in verse um, five, he says, try to count them if you can. Of course he can't. There are too many. Your descendants will be as many as the stars. And so Abram, it says, believed God and trusted his promise. And I believe that. And then we go a few more years. Sometimes uh, some commentators say it was five to 10 more years and we're in chapter 16. And it says, despite, this is where I'd love for you to pick up with me. It says, despite God's promises, years went by. Still, they have no child. Still, Sarai's like, hey, not getting any younger. Appreciate that God told you this, but I feel like I might need to help him out on his plan. Like, I feel like God, I know said that we're gonna have our own child, but I feel like maybe he just needs some help because nobody got time to sit here and wait and I'm not getting any younger. And so I don't know about you, but this is something that I like to do all the time. I'm like, God, thank you so much for what you just said, but it's actually not on my timeline. And so I'm just gonna give you like a, just a little bit of help. So that's what Sarai does. And she's like, I'm just, I'm just gonna give him a little bit of help. What do you think? So what she does is she says, I have this Egyptian servant girl named Hagar and she approaches her husband with this idea. So she goes to Abram and she says, you can see that the eternal one has still not allowed me to have any children. You, why don't you, Abram, sleep with my servant girl? Maybe I could use her as a surrogate and have a child through her. Just, just gonna speed up that process a little bit, okay? Just gonna kind of do it my way. And Sarah's solution is not really that unique. Back in the day um, in Eastern custom, they allow for these kind of arrangements, but this is not really what God was thinking of. And so Abram listens to Sarai and he agrees to follow her plan. I mean, he, there's no like, what do you, Sarai, are you sure about this? No, it literally just says he agrees to follow her plan. So he does. And so he agrees to follow her plan. She gives him uh, Hagar, he sleeps with her. And it wasn't long before she conceives. Yay, right? She, this is the plan. Sarai should be happy. She's having a baby. I don't know that Sarai quite understood the emotions that would come with a servant girl having her child with her husband. So it starts to get a little desperate housewives going on after this. It's not exactly what Sarai had in store. She's not like super happy this is happening because Hagar, who's the slave, who is less than in that culture, her attitude changes. And she's like, huh, it's so weird that I'm a slave and less than, but yet I'm the one getting pregnant with your child. 
I'm the one who could do it. And so it just kind of like piles on the not enoughness for Sarai. And then Hagar is like cocky and arrogant. And Sarai says, well, this isn't happening on my watch. She's still my slave. So it says in verse five, Sarah would not tolerate her servant girl looking down on her. So she approaches Abram. (laughs) This is my favorite. She goes to Abram and she's like, this is all your fault. (laughs) And Abram's like, wait, what? I feel like you're the one who came to me. And she's like, look, she was like, as soon as she saw that she was pregnant with our child, she acts arrogantly and disrespectful and I have done nothing to deserve this. And so Abram like steps out and he's like, uh, I don't want any part of this, thank you. Um, you can deal with her and go do what you need to do. I'm out. And so it says in verse seven that Sarai clamps down on Hagar severely and Hagar runs away. So we pick up here with Hagar's story. So Hagar, for her to flee into the wilderness means that she has no shelter, She has no food. She has no water. Some commentators say that she was trying to get back to her people in Egypt. That's not like a hop, skip, and a jump. It's not like she's just walking across the street to her people. I mean, that's like hundreds of miles that she would have to walk. So how did she think she was gonna care for herself? She didn't. But apparently it was so bad, she was being treated so poorly that she had to run away. It's not like anyone was gonna come look for her. She was a stranger. She was hopeless. She was helpless. And then we go into verse eight and Hagar, uh, I'm sorry, verse seven, the special messenger of the eternal one found Hagar alone by a spring of water out in the desert. I love the word found because in Hebrew that refers to finding someone or something that is lost or misplaced. And didn't Hagar feel like that? In verse eight, it says, Hagar, Sarah's servant girl, where have you come from and where are you planning to go? Hagar's like, I'm running away. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. And the special messenger says, Hagar, go back. Go back to your mistress, change your attitude, be respectful, you're pregnant, you need to go home. And then in verse 10, two words, trust me. Trust me, I'm gonna give you many children and many descendants, so many that you won't be able to count them. And in the last verse of 11, he says, because the eternal one has heard your anguished cries. Not only has he seen her, he went looking for her, you guys, and he heard her. And as a result of this encounter, verse 13, it says, Hagar decided to give the eternal one who had spoken to her a special name. It's called El Roy. And it means the God who sees because it says the God had seen her in her misery. Hagar says, I'm going to call you the God of seeing because in this place, I have seen the one who watches over me. And still to this day, you can go and see the well that is called Bir Lahe Roy, which means well of the living one who watches over me. I love this exchange um, in verse uh, 13, where it says, I'm going to call you the God of seeing. In this place, I have seen the one who watches over me. So the, for the first time maybe in her entire life, She feels seen, and not just seen by anyone, seen by God. And because she's seen by God, she can now see God in a different light. And it changes her. She trusts him and she goes back. I want you to know today that the same God who saw Hagar 
in her helplessness, in her hopelessness, in her running away, is the same God who sees us in our misery, in our brokenness, in our grief, in our doubt, in our running away. He sees our past, the decisions we've made, and he sees the uncertainty of our future. Elroy, whenever you felt unseen or lost, or maybe your life has been so shattered this past year, the last couple years, and you feel like you will never be able to put it back. He sees that. When we feel abandoned by everybody else or that no one knows that we're going through, he sees that. He loves us through that in our brokenness, in our pain, the same that he did with Hagar. And the reason I can be confident of this is because I know. Because if I can share very vulnerably with you and just, uh, I will be tearful with this. I want you to know that I have gone through a wilderness experience where I felt like no one saw me and I didn't even feel like God saw me. And I've been a Christian most of my life. You know, I say that the next book that I write will be life was great until it blew up in my face. And I think that's the thing is like life never prepares you for what tragedy is gonna happen. 2019, 2021 was a year of wilderness for me. My father-in-law passed away um, from Alzheimer's dementia. We had cared for him much of that way. Um, as we were preparing for his funeral, for someone that we love, my husband's best friend, a dear, uh, like a father to me, um, as we were preparing for his funeral, I got a call that my best friend had been rushed to the ER with a brain aneurysm, very healthy, like incredible athlete, uh, young mom, and 10 days later, um, she dies, like sudden. And then eight months later, we had been journeying with my nephew who's lived with us a few times. Um, he's been struggling with addiction most of his life. And he was like a son to us. And he'd been going through this sober journey. And if you're familiar with that, you know it's up and down, up and down. And he'd finally gotten sober and we were so happy for him. And we found him right before Christmas dead in his apartment. And then after that, we decided to make a real huge move across the country. Um, it was the week that the world shut down in the pandemic. Don't move during a pandemic, guys, just so you know. And we moved in the pandemic and I felt very alone. And we had all kind of had all these piggyback griefs and I remember um, having this feeling in my chest. And for those who deal with anxiety and depression, you know this feeling very well. And I started to not be able to breathe. And I remember calling Grant and I'm like, I'm for sure having a heart attack. So just so you know, I love you, but I'm dying. And he's like, hey, you're not dying. You're having a panic attack. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I, whatever I'm having, I can't breathe. And he's like, you're fine. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna get through it. And I remember for months, and I don't know if, for those of you who have struggled with this, first of all, I just wanna say, if the church has ever just given you like a verse and a prayer and be like, on your way, you'll get over it, I'm sorry. I remember going through this and I had never been through it and just that, that tightness of your chest. I remember like yawning because I couldn't get a deep enough breath. And it was those different tragedies that had happened. And I immediately went to counseling and she said, it's just your body catching up with the grief that you've had. And I remember getting through 
through it, not to the other side yet, but getting through it. And I was finally starting to breathe again. And I was like, oh, okay, we got this, we got this. And then um, something else happened in our family that broke me to my core and shattered my heart in a million pieces. And this was the one, this was the one that I thought would just, this is the one that would just do me in. And I just knew it. And I remember just this feeling of just being so shattered and that I would never get my life back together. And this happy-go-lucky Christy that I was would never be there again. I would always feel the grief. I would always feel the heart. I would always feel the shatter. There would never be restoration. And all I needed in that moment was for God to see me, for somebody to see me, for God to know me. And it was literally like radio silence, just nothing. And I was like, what? This is the hardest time of my life and there's nothing. Where is he? And I remember going to my counselor the next day and I was like, what is going on? Like I am in the lowest of low. Like I have never in my life been shattered more than this. Where is God? And she kind of let me have my peace. And then she just took a deep breath. And she's like, what if God has you so tucked in to his arms right now that he doesn't need to say anything? What if you are healing right there and you're so broken that you can't even hear the words, but you just need his presence? What if you're just tucked in without any outcome or thing you have to produce or a quick fix, but his presence is all you need? And you're just going through it with someone who understands suffering more than you will ever understand suffering. It reminds me of the Psalms 91.4. It says, like a bird protecting its young, God will cover you with his feathers. He will protect you with his great wings. His faithfulness will shield, form a shield around you, a rock solid wall to protect you. That's all I needed. I remember interviewing a woman who lost her husband suddenly um, and was left with seven children. And she says a quote that I love so much. And it says, we don't have to wait for the outcome. We want to start healing. And I love that because it just reminds us we don't have to wait for that prayer to be answered or for that relationship to be restored or for the thing that we thought we needed to happen before we can heal. We get to heal in God's arms through it all. We don't have to know. We don't have to know we get to heal through that. And so as I was getting ready for this message, I, I went back to my journals and I kept having these what if questions. What if I never experienced joy again? What if other people get through things like this, but I never will? What if it's hard for me forever? What if these relationships aren't restored? What if I'm not the fun girl who loved life? What if I hate it forever? What if, what if, what if? And I remember my counselor saying to me, when the what ifs, and you can add your own, overwhelm you, I want you to ask yourself, what is true right now? What is true right now? And so I started looking up all these verses of what God thought about me. And I started looking up all these verses of who God was. 
Scriptures like Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My, my heart was gone. It was gone, broken. My flesh, gone. Some days I couldn't even wake up in the morning. But he was my portion. And I wanna ask us, like, if our circumstances never change, is him being our portion and him being our intimacy, is that enough for us? And I'm learning that it is. Lamentations 3.24 says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. I will not hope in the outcome. I will not hope in this restored. I will not hope in this diagnosis or illness to be cured. I will hope in just him. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. My husband and I said that verse back and forth to each other as I was rolled into an OR room after a miscarriage and I was being operated on and we're saying that verse back and forth and back and forth and that was years ago. But that's a verse that still holds true for me right now in my suffering. Psalms 91, 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and I will honor him. And when I started to believe what God sees about me and who he is for me, I know that my life can change and it hasn't changed dramatically and I'm still in the suffering. But to know that he sees me in the suffering means everything. When we start to believe, and even though we don't feel it, I'm not telling you that when you read those verses, that automatically you're like, ah, I feel it. I feel it. I'm going to be okay. You don't. But you have to believe that even in the suffering, even in the hard, that God is with you. The one who suffers more than any of us ever will. He's with you through it. You cannot outrun God. You cannot be so low that God cannot pick you up. He sees us in our grief. He sees us in our illnesses. He sees us in our confusion. He sees us in the mundane. He sees us in our loneliness. He sees us. He sees you, mama, under the piles of laundry and the thick of diapers, slipping on what seems like never picked up toys, days that feel restless. And if we're honest, feel a little inconsequential and useless, which also makes us feel guilt for feeling that way while we're taking care of these babies that we have. God sees you and he loves you. He sees us who have lost a child or a loved one too soon and it has taken away the colors of life. Everything is in gray. You're walking around in a grief fog that you have stumbled into and it feels like it will literally never let up. He sees you. He sees those of you who have desired a child of your own for years, who have punctured your body with needles, who have visited many doctors and constant searches on the internet of why you can't have a child of your own. He sees you. He sees you who sit with regret and shame and secrets, whose maybe marriage has exploded and you're trying to pick up the pieces but you don't even know where to start. He sees you and he loves you. He sees those of you who are searching for a lost child, the one that you carried in your own body and that you would lay down your life for, but the one that has strayed so far away and made so many mistakes that you can't seem to remember the last time that they were truly home. He sees you. 
He sees those of us who can't take the anxiety, the burdens, what life should be and what isn't, the ones who have turned to a pill bottle or a drink instead of turning to him. He sees you and he loves you. He sees the one who walked away with doubts, who lives in secret shame that has become their invisible identity. I want you to know he sees you and he wants to set you free from the secrets and the shame that has changed you for so long. He sees you. He sees you when your life has exploded. He sees you in your bitter despair. He sees you when you're just ticked off and angry at him. He sees you. He never walk away. He loves you through it. I wanna do something a little different today as we end. And Simone is gonna come up and sing a beautiful song that has just literally washed over me in these last couple years. And I want you just to sit here. I don't want you to have to, to sing or stand, but I want you to sit here and I literally want you to picture what I pictured. I want you to picture God's arms holding you tight. And I believe that you might even feel it today, that you're gonna feel his arms holding you tight. And as she sings these words over you, I pray that it would just be God's words just soaking over every single one of you. And some of you are in the deepest of trenches right now. And I pray this would just soak over you. And some of you have already been through this, but maybe you know someone who is in the trenches and you're contending for that person. And maybe they're here with you and you need to just physically wrap your arms around them as just a physical reminder of God's own arms, of his love. I want you just to sit and just to soak and just to feel his presence over you today.